0: Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and this is another episode of The Strange World of Songling. This is sort of me going through Strange Tales from a Chinese Studio and, uh, and creating a world. So I'm still in the early phases, and I'm still kind of thinking things through. Uh, previously I read a story about a man who went to another worldly exam, and now I'm reading a, a story called The Corpse in the Penguin edition. Which i have here as well it's i believe called um uh the living dead and it's about men who go to an inn there's no room in the inn the uh the innkeeper says that he has another hall uh but his deceased daughter-in-law is in there and they decide to stay there they need a place to stay and during the night the daughter-in-law you know uh, awakens she's you know he rises from the dead and she goes over to them and starts blowing on each of them and this is enough to kill them um i've seen this is something i've seen in movies too and in other stories um but i'm not 100% sure what what it is so it's something i want to uh try to nail down more uh when i develop this particular area but um but basically the it ends in a chase between the survivor among the men uh who I think he runs to a temple and there, uh, it's almost comedic. The, uh, the, the corpse chases him around a tree and she goes to grab him and she, she gets kind of like stuck on the tree and it's a little unclear exactly what happens. Um, but that seems to do her in. Um, and, and it, I don't know, it's kind of an, it's an interesting, fun story. I've always liked this one. Um, and so what I'm, uh, know she sort of just stuck there until morning with her fingers dug into the tree it's an interesting visual Um, but this got me thinking about how I would do this as as a as a realm in the world of Songling and I think it's a challenge because uh, you my immediate impulse is to do something like a uh, some kind of realm either largely or mostly inhabited by corpses or where corpses are significant in some way Um, but I'm still hashing out my concept. And so I'm trying to figure out, you know, what the full purposes of these places really are. And, you know, again, I I was leaning towards the idea of this, these being sort of like, you know, hells where people are uh, essentially undergoing some kind of test, I suppose. And, um, and so this would need to be, you know, a hell I think related, to this kind of creature or some kind of idea that it embodies and one thing i was also thinking when i was reading the story this time was you know when you read old stories like this how you know common death is just as a thing you know you have an old innkeeper and his daughter-in-law has passed away so the daughter-in-law presumably was much younger than him and you know you know and so you know another thing that i was thinking is I would I, again, this is an afterlife, so I don't know if I can incorporate living people or not, but I like the idea of if I do that, having death be a very prevalent thing. Um, even possibly something that player characters themselves could be susceptible to. I don't know, I don't know how I'm gonna do this, but like uh, a realm where everybody is, you know, potentially dying in some way, uh, where disease is common or where you know, it's just, you know, if you, if you don't get out of this domain, you know, you're, uh, again, it's, you know, I'm still hashing it out. So I don't know if the other characters, they're dead in the afterlife. So what does it mean to die in the afterlife? But if you don't, if you don't escape from this domain, potentially you, you, you know, you, you, uh, you perish in some way. Um, I was also thinking that that might be because this is strange Tales of songling and because it's, the idea is, uh, your characters are, uh, are, are potentially you know your uh, the spirits of your characters uh, in the next world in a hell. Um, death could operate differently here because they're already dead. So I like the idea of part of the test being survival. If if you survive the hells, then you know that is that translates into you know being able to get to the next the next life or being able to get higher up uh in your rebirth or something along those lines um i don't know it's a concrete gameable thing um i would also like uh to incorporate some kind of thing with you know good and evil and you know how that might you know like, like i said in my previous podcast how that might be Part of it too. The trick there is um making that gameable. That's the trick. And so what I was thinking was these might be places that are the fabrications to a degree. Do you know what I mean? Uh especially if I go with the direction that I was talking about with the um the inkstone concept. But you know, these are places that are inhabited by people, maybe, or you know, who knows what they are. Maybe they're not really people. I don't know, but inhabited by, you know, there might be towns, there might be places, there might be people in distress, things like that. And so presumably there will be uh, situations where the players could, you know, rescue people or help them and that sort of thing. And that that's really uh, where you get the positive karma. Um, and the negative karma would come from, you know, performing intentionally evil actions uh you know even if they're you know trying to uh in, in the service of some sort of ultimate good or something i i again i don't i don't know this stuff is always kind of tricky but i kind of want to take like that Ravenloft approach with this and again this is just a personal campaign setting this isn't something i'm going to be putting out so i have plenty of room to just experiment and do what i want um, but another idea i had too was i like the idea of of each one of these hells having a magistrate in charge of it Um, but the magistrate also kind of being like a uh you know somebody who is corrupted into that position they're they're sort of uh uh you know these aren't good guys these are bad guys um i like i i want to have villains and and something for the uh you know so so that so that it's uh again game ability is really important to me and so I, i want I want there to be antagonists at the heart of, of these realms. Again, you know, like, it's a nod to Ravenloft. We have domain lords, except here you would have magistrates, you know, county magistrates or magistrates of the hell who are, uh, uh, except again, I don't want to do it exactly like Chinese hell. Like I don't want it to be like, I am, I am thinking in terms of the uh, movie hell of heaven and hell and stories based on that and that kind of cosmology. But I don't want it to be simply going before a magistrate and having your case heard and, and that sort of thing. That might be part of it at various points. Like uh but but I I, I want it to be um uh more of like a proper magistrate of like a county or of a district or whatever so that it is it's more like a real place. Um it's still a hell, you know, it's not gonna have real world geography necessarily. But um, but I want it to be relatable. I want it to be uh, something that's gameable and interesting, you know, that has the kinds of things that players can explore. It's not just a uh, it's not just a hall with a magistrate in it or you know a torture chamber or that sort of thing. Um, those kinds of things might be there, but I also kind of want each one to have its own ecosystem, its own sort of functioning world, you know, where uh you know there you know where there are inns, there are towns, you know, and maybe the inns are run by by ghosts and spirits and, you know, various creatures of the other world. Maybe they're run by people or the semblance of people. Um you know, maybe this is other people working off their uh you know their karma. This is where they have to live in order to uh to, 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 to burn off some 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 evil deeds. But, uh, but again, I haven't quite thought it through, but I had thought of maybe like a magistrate who was kind of like the king of the corpses, you know, and, um, and that idea appealed to me. I also thought of basing it around the inn, in the, uh, uh, where he's effectively the magistrate. The innkeeper is effectively the magistrate. Um, but again, I haven't really thought much beyond that. I just, it's uh, what is it? it's 12.50 in the morning here. So I just finished uh, reading the story and, and uh, I was just thinking about it. And so this is just me kind of thinking out loud, uh, what I'm going to do, but with each story, I can see that I'm getting a clearer idea of what I want and and how I want the campaign to be. And, uh, and, and so, you know, it's, uh, you know, and again, this is something where I think it would be designed more for, um, an afterlife for, you know, total party kills and that sort of thing. Now, obviously, because I want to run this world I just might as a conceit have my players assume a total party kill happened or even think back to campaigns we had where there was one I know I know a few and so we can you know just draw on that but um but I you know I want to I want to get down to business and, and play in the setting uh that does lose the the element of Playing your characters, having them die, and then going in there—that's a much different thing. When when that happens during play, it feels very different, because when you just jump right into the underworld, the characters have no attachments to the real world. If you have a total party kill and the players go into the afterlife and they have unfinished business in the real world and they really want to get back, you know they might be they might be trying to use their time in the afterlife to get back to the real world and they have like a real reason for wanting to get there. It just gives them a sense of urgency um you know it's like in a movie when somebody's goes to the store to get milk or they have some kind of goal and then they get sidetracked and they go on the adventure in the movie but the whole time in the back of your mind there's this tension of wanting them to get that milk it's that same kind of thing um and so uh so i do need to play test it that way too even though again this isn't like something i'm gonna publish but just if i wanna you know if i want to fiddle with this i want to see uh you know how well it works in those respects and again it's it's stuff where I pulled out strange tales and used it this way but this is different because I'm very consciously constructing a setting that's going to serve this function whereas before I kind of did it on ad needed as needed basis um and I gave myself a lot of freedom to just do whatever and fix it as I wanted to and uh and here it's it's um it's it's going to be more of a proper setting that I can that I can use regularly. Uh, so yeah, so I don't know, corpses, I'm going to do more research into corpses cause it's kind of a complicated topic. And I've actually been talking with my, uh, w- with my co-writer, Jeremy on the, on something that we're working on for righteous blood. And he's been going over some of the, uh, uh, some of the stuff in Chinese with that. And, and so, you know, it, it's, uh, it's one of these things where I want to, um, I want to explore the concept more because it's kind of the same category of creature that like hopping vampires and stuff belong to, but this is a much different ver This is like a much simpler type of creature. Again, unless the translations that I'm reading are, uh, are not giving me a clear window into it. Uh, in this one, she just blows on them and that seems to kill them. Um, and I'm unclear on if she's susceptible to poplar trees, if that's why that happened. Or if it was due to the things that the monks were doing in, uh, when the guy went to the temple, the monks were, um, were rattling on wooden fish. And, uh, if that has something to do with it, um, so, so, you know, I'm hoping to find out more about this particular story. Uh, sometimes there's not a lot of information, unfortunately. That's one thing that I found. And if there is information, it's often in Mandarin or something. Um, so, you know, so, you know, for me. You know, I, I don't speak or read Mandarin, so that's a uh, that makes things somewhat difficult. Uh, but uh, but again, this is a you know there is room to be creative here. So my general approach when I encounter that issue, and then I guess this is a useful topic because um, people doing Strange Tales and trying to use something like Strange Tales from a Chinese Studio, they'll probably encounter this. Um, I mean, the first thing that you do is like you you read a story, you find. You know, you find a type of creature. And some of them, like the fox spirits and the ghosts, those get pretty full coverage in Strange Tales. So you get a pretty good sense, even just from the stories alone, what the parameters are. And each story often deals with them in a unique way because they're anomaly accounts. So they're not always consistent. There's not, you know, instead of creating like a real sense of consistent, you know, this is how these creatures function. there, There are common lines, but you get just my point of view when I'm reading this, I I see different types of Fox spirits and different types of corpses and, and things like that. And it, it's, you know, again, I think the idea was these were based on, they were supposedly based on accounts Pusong Ling was gathering, but I don't know if, if that's really the case or if he was actually just creating them. Um, but one thing that is going to happen is you'll encounter, you know, a monster or something mentioned in the story. And you won't know exactly what it is because it's not necessarily going to be identified by its Chinese term in the translation. So you might encounter, like, I think one version of this story just calls the girl a specter. Um, and if that were the first version I had read of it, it would skew my perspective on what what she is. The um, The one from the Chinese classics calls her a corpse. I think this one also called her a corpse in the Penguin edition. Um, I, I, the one that I just read was the Chinese classics version. I just pulled out the penguin version to see if there were any footnotes, but, um, uh, but you know, you're going to encounter that kind of stuff. And so, I mean, obviously looking it up and trying to find an answer is, 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 you know, the first step, uh, and then deciding, okay, do I want to, um, elaborate on this if I don't have adequate information, uh, or you know, is, am I just using this for a springboard anyways? I, I think, uh, you know, again, I'm, I, I, I think it's important to go to the source material and to, to read about it and research. I, I've never been a big fan though, of, um, of just replicating, uh, you know, whatever, whatever the monsters are from something or I, I like like when you, a lot of times when you watch Fu Songling, Done as a movie, which is really common, he makes great source material for a movie. Liberties are taken to make monsters interesting and to be creative with them. Um, And you know, I think that's you know something that a GM should feel comfortable doing. It's a a role playing game. It's uh, There's an element of fantasy here, and, um, you know, I don't think it's a, a bad thing to, to give yourself permission to be creative, especially if you're dealing with something where you know it's it's uh it's a uh like a mythology that you're learning about do you know what i mean you uh i think you have to start somewhere and i i think at the same time even once you have a firm you know handle on it like say i don't know let's take another example like roman myth and legend you know I, i you don't necessarily need to just regurgitate you know everything that was in like the aeneid you can you can put your own twist on things, you know? Um, And you can create, you know, you can kind of take the approach a lot of role-playing games take, where you, you know, you turn them into something more gameable, you know? Um, You know, they're they're a source of information, a starting, an inspiration, a starting point, but you, you know, you you go in the direction you want to go from there. Um, The way I look at it, especially with Pu Songling, is I look at it, because of how I've seen him used in movies, and how that seems to work really well i have, i look at it as whenever i make an adventure i'm kind of like a director and i usually base it on one of the stories and i'll read the story and then i'll just think like okay if i were a director of a movie what sort of world would i make what sort of adventure would i make and that's how i approach this uh and so i you know i would encourage people to um because these are very creative and um i don't know Uh, how would i put it They're, they're creative but they're creative in a really open way that a lot of fantasy isn't anymore um you know and i think that is what makes them so exciting and fun that anything can happen and i think you want to retain retain that feel when you're when you're working on these things so so you know so so again a blend i think you know read the source material read the stories uh do do research so you know what you're what you're dealing with so you know like if it's if it calls thing a vampire you know you want to make sure that you're not picturing the wrong thing you know that you're um you're not picturing dracula if it's really you know one of these you know hopping vampires stiff corpses things um so uh and then you know try to you know find out what that is and, and that one gets interesting too because you know there's 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 hopping vampires but if you watch a lot of the movies over time there's kind of like a and again i'm i'm no massive expert on this. I've seen a lot of hopping vampire movies, but I'm sure that there's a lot of them. There's probably a lot of people that you know, more acquainted with this than I am. But you watch a hopping vampire films, and you start to see that there's this, uh, this sort of, they start to absorb some of the Western vampire ideas and bring those into it. And I, I don't know how that happened. I've always been interested in that. And I don't know if it's, you know, just a, you know, just a handful of some of the movies I've seen. But I had I did notice that, that that over time it seemed like some movies were uh, when this connection maybe between the two creatures became known uh, that, uh, just because I don't know it's because translation or what but when this connection became sort of a realized thing it seemed like people were bringing more Western vampire stuff into some of the the movies of, with hopping vampires and again you know, Maybe I'm, maybe I'm way off on that. I don't, I don't want to, um, uh, I don't want to take for sure, but, um, but I think that, I think that, um, uh, you don't want to, you don't want to get the wrong idea about the kind of monster that you're dealing with. So you want to make sure that you, you try to look it up and you you get a sense of, you know, you know, number one, if it says vampire, what does that actually mean? If it says ghost, what does that actually mean? And then what? another thing to think about too, is like a lot of times you'll counter something will be a ghost. And if you've grown up in, an, you know, uh, in America or England or a place like that, you're going to have a certain image that pops in your head when you think ghost. And so you you got to immediately say, wait a second, is that a share? Is that, is that universal? Is that what they mean by ghost in a, it, it, you know, in, in, in China in the 1700s? Is, is, is it something different? And so, you know, looking that stuff up is, is, is I think very important. Um, so I don't want to minimize doing that step because I think, um, I think skipping that step, what you end up, what what you can end up with is the, um, uh, is an end result that feels very disconnected from the source material. So, I mean, by all means, you know, do a creative twist on it, but you should try to understand it. And if you can't get all the information, then treat the gaps, as the places where the twist would come in would be my advice. Um, You know, but, but again, I I do think putting your own creative stamp on it is fine. I think, uh, I think that's what makes these things more of a a sort of uh, ongoing conversation and not just, um, not just something that's sort of preserved and, and, and stasis. So, you know, so, you know, and again, that's the thing you see, like, you know, like, like, um, like my, my, my co-author, he, he translates a lot of Sean novels and those are, that's like an evolving genre. I mean, he could weigh in it, weigh on, on this more. So maybe next time I have him on the podcast, I'll ask him about it because I don't want to speak out of turn here and say things that I don't know. I'm, I know a bit about Sean but not, not that much and not nearly as he does as much as he does, but just, from what I've seen, like TV shows that were Shan Shah based and stuff like that, it looks like there's, um, uh, there's kind of an evolution that's been going on, uh, and, and, and kind of a, uh, uh, it's almost like the, uh, the mythology is progressing. Um, which is, I think, interesting. I think that's a better, you know, attitude to have with this sort of thing. Um, so so, yeah, so uh, again, it was the story was the corpse and I'm still really sort of wrapping my head around how I'm going to build these realms. And, and I think, um, and, and again, my core concepts aren't quite there yet. So, uh, but I do know that I want something more, you know, more of a lifelike world that's something that players can interact with and places where they can have adventures where it's not just them going to the afterlife and then being judged or um they just have to go do good deeds you know i i want it to i feel like having an adventures there is going to create the um the opportunity for uh compelling moments where the characters are doing good or bad and that sort of thing and that's and, and also just through the adventures themselves you know success successfully doing the adventure, improving your merit in that respect is also something that can help, you know, help you move on to the next life. Um, and, and again, we'll, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see what exact shape this takes. Um, you know, again, like I said before, I don't know if I mentioned at the start of this, but the idea is, when you got a total party kill or you have one character that dies and you want to continue with those characters in some way, or you just want to do something interesting, you know, you do it as an afterlife. Like this, it's again, it's something I mentioned in the uh, Strange Tales of Songling book um I touched on it uh something that I did a lot of in my own campaigns uh but I'm trying to think of it more thoroughly right now and uh and again I'm not I do want to emphasize I'm not going to be at least I don't think I'll be you know if, if, I, if, I, if I if I if I do this and it's like amazing obviously I'd consider putting it out but if it's uh, but for right now um my expectations are just more i'm just making a campaign setting for myself to use my own games that's sort of my formal uh strange tales afterlife and um you know and i was debating when i started this was to make sure i do afterlife or dream realm and 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 there's still always the possibility that i'll shift back into the dream realm because that's kind of cool too the way i use that is sometimes uh when the players go to sleep and they dream they can end up in the dream realm and they're there might be reasons in the campaign for why that would happen but i always thought that's kind of a fun fun thing it gives you it gives you opportunities to um uh, uh to get more amorphous with the setting material and uh and i don't know it's kind of gonzo i like i like i like dream stuff um so so yeah i think i think hopefully what we'll do because me and Jeremy are working on um on a sort of supernatural expansion for righteous blood and that's that includes uh creatures like corpses uh and we're still debating the terms because it's kind of complicated like how we would uh you know and Jeremy's the one who's kind of like I'm 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 mostly uh deferring to Jeremy because he's the translator and so I I I, I you know I it's sort of his area um but but we have to kind of have talks about it because there might be a term and then it's like well how should this be translated and we have to think about well these are the ways that it's generally translated into english and so we don't want to confuse people that are familiar with those ways this is a way that maybe jeremy thinks is a more accurate translation or a better translation um and and this is like literally what it means and this is what you know and 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 I and I guess it's further complicated because sometimes the variations use different language, uh, different uh, different words to describe them. So, you know, again, that's more Jeremy's area, not mine. But my understanding is it, it gets it's it's not it's not even as simple as I was just describing. It's actually quite a uh, a complicated thing, and and so my my interest when I do these things, my interest as a reader and as a gamer, is not being confused. So. Yeah, you know so hopefully whatever terms we select so whether we call them corpses or something or zombies or something else um and again my, my hesitancy with zombies is that i feel like that immediately uh, evokes uh you know romero zombies or something in people's minds um which i don't know I, you know i think i think uh that that can be misleading so uh, but at the same time, zombies kinda has a cool sound and something that you see translated a lot in movies and stuff. You see you see the term zombie in wuxia, in uh in in Chinese horror. Um you know, and 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 I guess technically again I'm I'm making an assumption here because so I don't necessarily know that this is the same exact kind of uh creature that uh we were dealing with in our in our discussions about Righteous Blood, because it's not like the the Chinese name is provided in the translation. It just says "corpse." Um, I have uh, the story with the Chinese characters, and I could show that to Jeremy and get confirmation. But I, he's not here, so uh, for right now, um, I'm making an assumption. But um, but I think that uh, you know, you know, like I, like I said, well, you know, the you, the problem with that term. And you know, Jeremy pointed this out to me because I didn't even think of it. But the problem with that is it's just you know it can be confused with corpse, you know? So, uh, you know, you could call it a living corpse or, you know, a reanimated corpse or something like that. But uh, if we just call it corpse, that, that could be confusing to people because they just might think it's a dead body. Um, so, so, so again, you know, when, when I'm, when I'm uh, reading these things, I like to get, uh, I like to get the, you know, I really like when things are footnoted. So I know what I'm dealing with. And it's easier for me to look things up after um and and i and i think you know uh, again when you when you when you do this for your own campaigns you know the 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 first place to look if there is a if, if it is there is the footnotes um you know after that you know research the title of the story research the um uh, if, especially if there's any Chinese that's mentioned in, like if, they, if if anything is mentioned by its Chinese name, you know, looking that up. But do your research, and then and then fill in the gaps uh, creatively. You know, that's. The, I mean, you really don't have any other choice if you don't. If you have gaps and you have a can and you have a game on Friday, you don't have any choice. You know what I mean? This is something that I've learned doing uh, a lot of sort of real world type games. There's only so much research you can cram in to a week. Uh, if you also have to write an adventure that week and, and I think, uh, you know, so, so just to take, um, you know, historical gaming as an example, like, you know, I ran an adventure set in a village in China. It was based on a real village. Um, and I did a fair amount of research. I think I got, you know, a lot of the details there, certainly not expert. And I'm sure somebody from the region could correct me on a lot of things. Um, but I think I must've spent, so for this adventure, um, and we're only maybe halfway through it or three quarters of the way through it right now. Um, and I think, I think we played from four thirty to seven thirty, So, so like three hours, uh, wait, wait, yeah, three hours. Um, uh, it, 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 it um, it, we, 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 it was, it was about how long was it? I think I spent, I spent about an hour each day doing research, maybe more, uh, the week leading up to the session. Um, so I want to say I spent five hours at least doing research and that's, and what that means is that's five hours I wasn't making the adventure, right? So I had to then make the adventure on top of that. Now, a lot of the research, research, I'm sorry, it's late, uh, led to adventure, right? Like it led to, um, it led to ideas and concepts that I put in the adventure, um, and then on top of that, I was researching other things cause the adventure was, um, uh, yeah. so just to give the script, this is different from what I, uh, what I'm doing with the world of Songling, but just to, uh, just to continue with this topic and, and expand on it. Um, my adventure dealt with tree demons, uh, specifically it dealt with, with wooden demons created from a demonic tree. And, and so I, Created the scenario because when I was looking up the village in question and its history, there was this guy who greatly expanded the village, and he was like the grandson of the founder. And so I thought, well, I'll make that guy the elder of the village. We'll set it during his time because you know it was during the Song Dynasty, and that's kind of when the campaign is generally set. And I figured maybe there's a hermit that lives in this. There's a, there's four mountains surrounding the village, and there's and and so it, and the village present day has a lot of water and is kind of known for having uh water energy you know it's got it's, it's like in terms of feng shui and stuff like that it's got a lot of ponds and things like that like and a lot of them are man-made ponds um and so what i was imagining is well maybe there's a time when this village was like surrounded by forest and it was smaller and uh and there was this hermit who lived there and he you know he was you know maybe came from a an older more shamanistic tradition of of taoism or something um, and he's kind of uh, uh, irritated that these villagers are expanding into his woods and especially irritated that they're disrupting the uh, sort of the elemental balance that's in place between the, the water and the wood. And, and, so, uh, and so he's kind of like almost like a unibun or Bomber type character where he, he, uh, uh, you know, he, he decides to get revenge on the town and and hopes to like annihilate them and so he he cuts down a demonic tree and he turns he he carves the pieces of the tree into these little i I call them wooden devils and the thing i wanted to experiment with was um uh 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 like having really easy to fight because the characters are all first level having really easy to fight opponents um that grow as they feed over the course of the adventures, the more people they kill, the more they even just attack the players and drain their life energy. The bigger they get, the stronger they get, the more ferocious they get. I thought that was like a an interesting an interesting approach, and um and so the bottom. But the reason I'm mentioning all this is because not only did I have to look up the the history, you know, I have a I I have I think three or four books on Taoism here. You know, a couple of them are academic texts. I have um, I have one, uh I was really more hopeful this was gonna be useful, but it's Taoism, local religion, and models of divinity in Song in modern China. Now, uh it, it is still useful. Um, but one thing I've discovered, uh, at least for myself, um, you know, and so, some of the uh some of the, the historians uh that I've been encountering for some of the Song Dynasty stuff have been from like a more postmodernist school, and so the the writer of this book, uh, he's a, I, I believe he's a historian. I could be wrong on that because I'm not familiar with him, but I believe he's a historian. But he describes his approach. This is his own words. This isn't me imposing this on him. He describes his approach as more of like a, a postmodernist anthropology approach, um, which is just a, an approach that just never landed well with me, um, both when I was a student, but also. I find when I read people that are really immersed in postmodernism, with a few exceptions, there's uh, there was an author... I won't get into it too deeply, Now There was a, an author who was inspired by postmodernism in interesting ways, and I thought she really did a good job of remaining clear in her style. And also her analysis was, I thought, very rigorous and good. So I don't think it's just an automatic disqualifier when I'm reading material, but I find it harder to make my way through writers who are really influenced by postmodernism because I find they tend to have a certain writing style. Um, and it's not, it's generally not like plain language. It's not often very clear and to the point. Um, and, and one of the problems I have with that is it's often has nothing to do with how, how deep the analysis is, how complicated or nuanced the analysis is sometimes even masks an overly simple analysis. Um, so I, I'm just always skeptical of that, and that's because when I was a history student, we were always taught to, 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 to value sort of more plain, direct language and clarity, um, and to avoid that kind of stuff. And so I've generally, not always, but generally, gravitate more toward his, towards history books that are written in that, you know, simpler approach. So I kind of like nuanced and complicated analysis that's explained in, in clear terms so that it's understood. Um, and I find with a lot of these postmodern influenced history books, uh, it's just a real chore to work your way through it. So I was, I was, I was reading through chapters in that book, through chapters in, um, uh, let me see, I have some like more like layperson books, like, um, I have a book by Eva Wong and a book by, um, and a book by, um, master Zhang Xian Wu. Um, and so a combination of academic books, um, uh, independent academics and actual academics. And I have a couple of other books that I'm not even going to bother to reach for and, and get the titles because it's late, but they're across the table. And, uh, and so what I found myself doing was I you know, you, you know, I'd read the academic postmodernist influence book and that was grueling. It was definitely a grueling read. I was not a fan of this person's writing style. Um, but then when I would shift to one of the other books, just the, the shift in feel, uh, was tremendous. And so it's just a much quicker read to go to the other books. So, um, but the bottom line is, you know, even though it's a grueling read, I still have to read this one because it's one of the few sources I have on the topic. Um, and it's dealing with the types of Taoist sects that were around during the Song Dynasty. So even if, even if I end up not agreeing with it or disliking the analysis or just finding the style difficult there's content in there that i'm going to use so um uh so so again you know just to get the stuff like well what's this hermit using to create the, the demon tree and, and all that you know like i mean I, I this is and again this is the thing where i i researched this heavily when i made Ogre Gate. i researched it heavily when i made um strange tales but you got to go back and reread it unless you're like you know reading about this stuff every day so uh and also sometimes you find out that like you you didn't know as much as you did about something and you need to uh you you need to expand your understanding um like maybe you know you 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 know the first couple of times you've built up a simple model in your head of of say like what you know like the um the talismans are all about the paper talismans um maybe you learn more as you you as you uh, uh even if you're Dealing with the same books over and over again. So, going back and rereading the same book is really helpful. Um, so, I had to do that just to get the sort of, you know, what's the magic behind the adventure. And then I had to do the history. Um, and so, and again, those all did translate into things that were usable in the adventure, but there was a lot of time in that. So, you have to balance when you're doing this, uh, when you're making an adventure for a game like Strange Tales or like a set, like a mini world for strange sales or whatever it is, you have to balance how much you want to invest in the research, how much you want to invest in the adventure making. And, you know, I would say, try to keep it so that, you know, you're not doing more than 50% research. Cause I think once you get over that line, um, you feel like you're not really preparing enough for your actual adventures. And, um, and I think that's a significant issue. Also, I think, Um, you know, depending on how comfortable you are with history, maybe history books are not easy for you. Maybe they're, uh, they're a challenge. And, um, if that's the case, uh, you know, you might, you might have to seek alternative sources. There are other ways to learn about something. Like for example, when I was learning about this village, there were a lot of videos that just were you know people going to the village and telling you about the village and you learned about the village's history that way so you could do it on on like youtube like unesco has um videos on a lot of places and things like that you can you know do little documentaries um also you might be able to find like interactive sites online that can be helpful um you know and it a, again if you if uh The, you know, the rule of thumb is, you know, if there are gaps, fill that in with, um, you know, creativity. That's where your sort of room to be creative is. Uh, You know, not everybody's on board with that. Some, you know, especially now there's like a real tendency to focus on the authentic thing, um, which is good. I think you need that. Like, I think I want like I want books on the shelf that are RPGs that are just trying to be authentic. So you have those because sometimes that's what you want. Do you know what I mean? um my only concern is when that becomes the only way to do something um and i think especially since a lot of gms they're creatively minded they want to create their own ideas they want to they don't want to just be limited to you know what's the official authentic folklore say about this thing uh and even then when you go and look at folklore you find a lot of variations and variety so so i don't know i i think um and, and there's the other fact of you don't want people to feel like they need a PhD in something to play a game with it. So, because um, then it becomes something where only certain people are really allowed to GM. And, um, you know, only people who have the, the degrees or have invested, you know, an exceptional amount of time into learning about something. I think that in the end, that makes less people interested in it. I think it's better to to, to lower the bar enough so that people, uh, are at least getting exposed to it. Um, you know, so, so yeah, so, uh, I know I've been rambling quite a bit. Like I said, it's late. I was, I was watching Fargo really late at night and then I decided to do another podcast. And so I read the, the, the story again at 12 something and, oh, I've been going on for 40 minutes. So that's, that's why I'm rambling. Um, Yeah. So I'll end it there. And, uh, you know, hopefully I'll have a more coherent presentation when we get to the third story. I want to, I want to dip in and out though. I want to, uh, you've probably noticed if you listen to the channel, I sometimes do late night podcasts. I used to do late night movie reviews and I'm going to start doing them again. And the reason why is I like, I like when I'm in that slightly altered state from being tired and feeling like I need to go to bed and I'm, less filtered and I'm just kind of talking and it forces me to, uh, forces me to still, you know, wrestle with some ideas and talk about them. But it also, I don't know, there's, I've noticed there's just a whole different vibe to my late night reviews and my late night podcasts. So I will be doing those with this, you know, and this is definitely a late night, um, a late night discussion, you know, so, uh, and I'm, and I'm going to be trying to do more, uh, reviews, uh, you know, again uh, this is probably late in the podcast to mention this but Wushu weekend is something that we have on 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 hiatus for right now and so we uh we haven't been doing uh you know podcasts of that uh but i'd like to uh you know i i i feel i'm feeling like the itch to to talk about uh those kind of movies so what i might do as I might just do individual ones on my own like as late night movie reviews, not as a weekend or anything like that, but just just so I can kind of get my thoughts off my chest about movies and um and so I'll probably just you know if I'm up at night I'll watch a film and do a late night late night review um I used to have a lot of fun doing those those are that was one of my favorite uh, uh favorite formats on the on the podcast um so, so, yeah, and also we're going to be bringing back uh, Bloodsport Commando, I think, um, talking with some people about it. Uh, the idea is, um, you know, it's pretty self-explanatory in the title, Bloodsport and Commando. If you like those kind of movies, that's the kind of film that's going to be on here. What I'm imagining is largely 80s action martial arts movies, but with some bleed into the 70s and 90s. So I would say like Dirty Harry is still on the table. I would say um, 90s, you know, martial arts movies from Hong Kong are on the table. Uh, 90s action movies are on the table if they fit the tone. Uh, But mostly we're talking about stuff, you know, like Chuck Norris movies, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, Sylvester Stallone films, Jean-Claude Van Damme, things like that. Um, you know, maybe some Steven Seagal movies we'll get to, uh, and we'll do, uh, you know, uh, Hong Kong, uh, martial arts movies and stuff like that as well. Um, but again, only I, I, again, it's not Wuxia weekend, so it's not going to be, uh, you know, once in a while we'll, we'll do different martial arts from around the world and things like that. Um, but I kind of, I kind of have that uh, desire to talk about, you know, action and martial arts. And so uh we're going to be doing that and continuing with the horror Express and we'll see we'll see what else what else uh we have you know we hopefully can get back, get another metal workshop uh episode up soon and uh you know a lot more things where um you know uh this is the you know, I know I, uh, one thing I want to say to people that, that follow the channels I know it's kind of a mess when you go to the podcast page because there's so many different things uh, the reason why is they make you pay to have different channels. So if I wanted to have like my uh, Whoosha Weekend Channel and a Horror Express Channel and all that, I'd have to pay extra money for it. And it's really not worth it. It just I uh, can't. I mean, and I don't want to do a thing where I have Patreon stuff doing that. I just wanna, uh, I just wanna do it because I'm doing it. Uh, I, and obviously, this is helpful for promoting the Bedrock stuff. But this is largely just because I'm. I I like it. I like, I like doing podcasts. I like doing, um, I like doing movie reviews and, and, and if they happen to be useful in terms of promoting the game, great. But, um, but honestly, I don't know how much traffic the podcasts bring in. I don't think they bring in that much. Um, I think most of our traffic for the games comes from other places. Like the blog definitely adds to the traffic for the games, but the podcasts, I, I think it's like a whole different audience. Um, so, so yeah, so this is 47 minutes, so I'm going to let you go. Uh, thank you for sticking with me. And hopefully you understand what I'm trying to do with these late night reviews. And Hopefully you're charitable <laughs> in, in, uh, in, in my ramblings and in my detours into, you know, strange, uh, uh, non sequiturs sometimes. Um, but yeah, so until next time I will talk to you later.